Well, good morning, and it's wonderful to be back with you again. It's been five weeks, which for me is just too long. It might be just the respite you needed, but for me, it's too long. So <clears throat> let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have told us that you are always with us. And we need you because many of us are here with cares, concerns, trials, sorrows, griefs, joys, anticipation. But we need you in everything we do. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Today is Reformation Sunday, and this is the day once a year where we celebrate the uh, Protestant Reformation that began on October 31st, 1517. On this day, 506 years ago, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, I decided not to go through all 95 theses with you today, since the tedium would probably ensure that I would never be invited back to St. John's. But Luther's first thesis is one that's appropriate for all of us, and it would have been good to, for the Old Testament kings that we'll learn about today to have known as well. Thesis one is this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This thesis refers to Matthew 4.17, where Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words... You and I need the forgiveness given to us by Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection on the cross every single day. So, with that in mind, how many of you have ever made a bad decision? Any hands? Wow, I thought I would be the only one. I kind of did. How many have you received bad advice and then made a bad decision? Anybody? Okay. How many of you had received good advice, pitched that, got bad advice, and made a bad decision? Okay. And finally, how many of you have made a bad decision or an unwise choice that you just knew was the wrong thing to do, but you said, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway, and you charged right ahead, and made a bad decision. Anybody? Okay, thank you. I don't feel so bad now. If you raised your hands to any of these questions, or you didn't, but you should have, then you probably don't need to listen to today's message, <clears throat> because you've already mastered making unwise decisions and carrying them through, right? I mean, I think that's a lot of us. But if you're still wondering what a bad decision is, then I hope you'll bear with me. Because even though the official title of today's message is Kingdom Divided, because we'll be talking about Israel being divided into two kingdoms after King David died, the real title of this message is Don't Make Bad Decisions. Okay? As a spoiler... 
Let me quote my favorite author, C.S. Lewis. He's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, maybe a few others you've heard of. He wrote, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who, uh, those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. Catch the difference. You've probably learned the hard way, as I have, that we do not want God saying to us, okay, have it your way. Because that's what we'll be reading today in the King's uh, book of First Kings in the Old Testament. If you brought your Bible with you, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. If you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home as your gift. We really, really hope that you'll take time to read and spend time in Scripture, um, in God's Word. So please turn to King, 1 Kings chapter 12 and bookmark it. We'll be reading verses 1 through 17 and 25 through 29, but first we have to get caught up with things that have happened since we've met King David last week. You may remember in Pastor Tom's message last week that the young and recently crowned King David was praising God in the streets. Pastor Tom had some illustrations about that that I can't compete with today. But you may remember that uh, it was rather jubilant. As we joined the book of 1 Kings, however, David is old and is anticipating his death. He plans to make his son Solomon the king, new king after him, but another son, Adonijah, attempts to become king on his own. Adonijah's coup is, coup is quickly put down, and Solomon is anointed as the king, next king. David advises Solomon to keep God's word, God's law, and also to take care of some of David's unfinished business. He had some avenging of his rivals to take care of that hadn't been done. David dies after reigning for 40 years, and Solomon's reign is firmly established. Finally, in chapter 3, Solomon prays to God for wisdom and understanding. This is the part of Solomon that you probably have heard of, learned of in Sunday school, know about, because he prays for wisdom and understanding. And God is so pleased by this. Because, you know, if Solomon were like you and I, he would have prayed for riches, honor, flashy new sports chariot, uh, maybe a lot of other things on our want list. But Solomon prayed for wisdom. So God granted what he asked for and also what he could have asked for but didn't. So as we come into chapter 4, Solomon is indeed very wealthy and very wise 
and everything is going great in Solomon's kingdom. God's truly blessing Solomon at this point. And scripture tells us the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, they were happy. It was so good. You may remember that King David wanted to build a temple to God. But God told him no, saying that your son, David, David's your son, will will build it. So Solomon builds the temple to God beginning at, in chapter 5 of 1 Kings. To get all the work done, Solomon instituted forced labor. And it's at this point that the happiness in the kingdom begins to erode away. When the temple is completed, God covenants with Solomon that he will abide in the temple and remain with Israel if they continue to follow his laws. Well, after the building of the temple, that project was complete. Solomon moves on to build himself a very opulent palace with forced labor, of course. And Solomon completed the temple furnishings. The Ark of the Covenant is moved in the temple. And then now that everything was in its place, Solomon dedicated the temple to God. At this point, God then repeats the covenant he made with King David. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But, but, if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees that I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them. I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. Well, God had barely finished reminding Solomon of his covenant when Solomon's heart went astray. We read, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Shittonites, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So God did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not doing it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet, I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. At long last, this brings us to the situation that we encounter in our reading today. The kingdom has been split into two. The ten tribes to the north are ruled by King Jeroboam and is still called Israel. Jeroboam was that subordinate. He was from the tribe of Ephraim and was unrelated to Solomon. He had no right to become king, but he had uh, only been one of Solomon's servants until he rebelled against Solomon to become king. Solomon's son Rehoboam, on the other hand, is made king over only one tribe down in the south, Judah, just as God had proclaimed. Now some of you may be looking at this map with your detective eye going, something doesn't add up here. <clears throat> because ever since Jacob, the Hebrews had have, have had 12 tribes. But you look at the map, there's 10 at the top, there's one at the bottom, that's 11. One's missing. Which one? Anybody have any ideas? It's Levi. Levi is the tribe that from when, whence all come, come all the priests within Israel. And they live within all the tribes uh, among, the, among the Hebrews. They've never been given land of their own. So, so we have Levites everywhere on this map. <clears throat> but don't worry. The northern kingdom of Israel, the most sinful of the two kingdoms, will eliminate that Levitical priesthood in short order. And that brings us to the re reading of today. And I apologize that it's taken so long to get to this point, but without knowing where you're dropping in, you really don't know what's going on. So please turn with me until to uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in, in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and his whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, now, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, 
they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke that your father had put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make your, your, our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid a heavy yoke. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Jeroboam as the king had told them, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given them by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for his, this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shulamite. When all Israel had heard or saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in Israel or in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home back up north. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. And then continuing on with verse 25. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. You'll remember Peniel from about a month ago. We talked about Jacob wrestling God, having his hip put out of joint. Same place. Jeroboam thought to himself, the king will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He <clears throat> said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There might have been a chance, maybe just a slim chance, that the two kingdoms could have been reunited. The northern kingdom of Israel under Jeroboam asked Judah's king Rehoboam, those names are so close to the same, Rehoboam, to lighten the heavy yoke of forced labor upon them. If he would agree, then the ten tribes of Israel in the northern kingdom would serve Rehoboam and all Israel would be together again. 
Rehoboam wisely asked for advice, but he didn't wisely accept it. First, he asked the elders who had faithfully served his father, Solomon. These people were used to being around Solomon's wisdom. Then he asked his friends, who were uh, naive and inexperienced as he was, and most of you can see what's coming. And we want to cry out, take the good advice. Do the right thing, don't we? Because we've been there too. But no, Rehoboam is like some of us might, have be, might be, puffed up by our own power and overly wise in our own eyes. And so Rehoboam made a catastrophic choice. Now, you may have endured all this discussion with your eyes glazing over, wondering how some of this dusty history from nearly 3,000 years ago could possibly be relevant today. It's relevant because our God keeps his promises. God promised King David and King Solomon that he would establish his royal throne over Israel forever. And that they would never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. God kept that promise. Even though Israel didn't keep their end of the covenant. God fulfilled the promise by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord and King over all of us to this day. Jesus discussed this with his disciples, as is written in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Jesus called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers and Gentile, of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You are often stiff-necked, and pig-headed, just like King Rehoboam, and so am I. We cause or accelerate strife and division among people. We lord our authority and our arrogance over others. We sin against God. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise again for your forgiveness and mine. You and I need him every single day. Just as Luther said, our entire life is one of repentance. So as Jesus said to the disciples, it is not so with you. 
We know God's love and forgiveness, don't we? And so we have the freedom in Christ to serve our neighbors and those around us, to show them God's love, to help them know their forgiveness. And through our serving God by serving them, they too might know the presence of Jesus Christ in their lives. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that your Son is with us and that you sent Jesus Christ to die and rise again so that we might be forgiven and be confident in our, your presence with us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.